Hi, my name's Claire and this is my story so far. My childhood was a very enjoyable one. I was born and grew up in Dolby in Queensland, not far from here. I'm the middle child, which makes uh, life as a child very interesting. Um, we loved being around each other as kids. Um, my, I enjoyed sports and animals and all things people. Um, my parents and us as kids, we loved hanging out with other families and people, particularly our age. Um, yeah, we really enjoyed that. Faith was a huge part of my childhood. Um, my grandparents are pastors and have been for most of their life. So we grew up in church, around church. We were at church every Sunday, both services, as Dolby had two services back in the day, um, morning and night. So, and every prayer meeting and worship team meeting and all that sort of stuff. So we had a lot to do with church. Um, I remember being at the nighttime service in Dolby and I had this moment while they were doing praise and worship and I felt God's presence probably for the first time, tangible presence. Um, and I realised from that point on that my relationship with God is different to somebody else's and it will be different um, and that it was the beginning of my journey, my faith journey. And when I got to grade 10, I wanted to leave school, um, wanted to go and work, do jillarooing out in Northern Territory somewhere, um, which nobody wanted me to do. <laughs> my parents, my grandparents, they just knew the environment that it was and I was completely oblivious to that. Um, so when they realised how keen I was to leave school and go to work, um, there was an opportunity that came about to work at the um, Border Rivers Christian College in Gundawindi as the administration officer. Um, brand new school, 19 kids, prep to grade six. <laughs> A little bit scary. I didn't actually realise until I'd started the job how big it was going to be. There were five staff and that was it. <laughs> so it was very full on, especially being like my first full-time job leaving home, like that was a massive thing for me. The same sense as doing youth, I was also involved in the worship team, I was involved in sometimes the kids ministry, I was doing a lot in that year as well as finishing my studies, my grade 12 certificate I did by distance education, um, which was scary and it probably, it definitely ended in burnout. I had a few people say to me, well, you know, God's blessed you with the gift of being able to play drums or being able to sing, so why aren't you doing it? Um, and that really cut deep for me because um, it was a matter of then I, be it was a bitter seed. I became bitter towards the, the person as well as towards the, um, the ministry. So I think within all of that was probably one of the bigger challenges as I became a bit older. Um, in my journey with God and it became a matter of well why why is this if there's the people of God why do people who are in ministry in the church have to be that mean have to not actually they're not caring for the person it's more about the, the thing the ministry um, where if I said look I'm I'm just tired like we don't have to have drums today because we had piano, guitar, bass, like we had everything else. Um, is there any chance that I could just 
have a minute um, and they'd be like, I'd be met with that, the, well, you know, if you have the gift, why aren't you doing it? Attended a youth camp downpour in 2015 um, with my cohort of youth kids and that's where I met Cameron, my husband, um, who at the time I did not think was that great. <laughs> I did not have a good experience the first time meeting him, mainly because I can be judgmental sometimes. Um, but I remember we were sitting in a circle, the leaders, and we were praying before the camp and I had my head down and eyes closed. And, you know, sometimes when you're a single gal at a youth camp, you just open your eyes and have a little look around the room. Um, and I was met with Cameron's eyes also doing this at me. <laughs> so I freaked out, I was like, oh no, he's looking at me. When we were at the camp, um, he decided to tell me they didn't have his phone so he wrote notes in the, um, from the preaching on my phone and put in my contacts um, his name, his phone number, his email address, um, just two email addresses, his personal and his chappy email address so that I would have every possible way of contacting him if I wanted to. Early married life with Cameron was interesting, <laughs> um, especially with us you know, Cameron being a lot older and I'm being younger, I hadn't really had much experience outside of my family, outside of my very small world in Gundwindi. Um, so I, we found that I thought I knew a lot more than I did. And Cameron was definitely the person to let me know that I did not know very much. <laughs> we became pregnant with our first baby, um, which ended in a miscarriage at nine weeks. Um, it's the baby's name. We didn't know it was a boy or girl. We called it Jordan. Um, ended up being, we had to have medical intervention and things like that. So it was a bit scary, definitely. Um, I, you never think it's going to happen to you until it does. And then you understand. I, I'd never experienced loss before. I have both sets of grandparents. I have no one in my family. The last person to pass away was my great granddad and he was 90 and that's when I was nine years old. So I think not experiencing any loss prior to that, I didn't know how to um, continue to communicate with God the same um, because you know, you put so much trust in that you find out you're pregnant, you start praying for the baby and you start, you know, like it's a mother's instinct to immediately be like, okay, well, you know, let's pray this for this for this child we have prayed, you know, that sort of stuff. And when it's the joys and the, all your imagination then gets literally crumbles around you or gets taken away, it's a matter of, well, how am I going to view God now? How am I going to talk to God when the one person I felt like I should be trusting, I don't feel like I can because of the hurt that was caused by the miscarriage or by the loss? Um, then we found out we were pregnant again um, and it made me quite an anxious person especially around the early the beginning because you're not supposed to tell anybody um, you know just in case something happens and I'm like we'd already experienced that um, and I was really struggling going through things like that alone we did have some complications in the beginning that really frightened me um, but then we found out that everything was fine and you know like we didn't have to worry and we're just going to take it day by day and see how it goes and well with many on the scene we decided that 
we were ready for another baby. I decided that I was ready for another baby. Um, Manny was still quite young, which was a little bit scary, but I didn't think about that at the time. We just enjoyed Manny so much that I thought, why don't we have another one? Um, so we found out that we were pregnant, um, which we were really, really excited about. And we thought with the complications we had earlier with Manny's pregnancy that we would not go and see the doctor straight away, which was fine. So we waited till about 10, 12 weeks before we even went and made an appointment um, with the doctor and then, you know, you have your ultrasounds and everything looked great. We're 12, 14 weeks along. Um, so we started telling people, um, which was really exciting. Um, and I was probably most engulfed in the fact that I was like, is it gonna be a boy or a girl? I was so, excited if it was gonna be a girl. We then had our 20 week morphology scan, um, which Cameron is against finding out the gender, um, but I said it was my body and I'll find out if I want to or not. <laughs> so by doing everything, they check their brain and check all the kidneys and how long everything is and how everything's progressing. Um, and then I was like, oh, you know, could you tell us the gender? And the sonographer said, she's like, you'll be painting the baby's room pink. And obviously I burst into tears. I was like, this is amazing. That's so cool. Like, Manny's going to have a sister and we're going to have a daughter. And it's just, it was just amazing. It was a moment of the warm, fuzzy feelings. Um, and then her next words was, oh, now it's time to check her heart. She's in a good position. Um, and she said oh no, something's not right, um, something's really not right. So then we were left feeling very anxious um, and scared uh, and I left the ultrasound room and the, the first person I called was my mum and I said, mum, they're saying that something's wrong with her heart and I was like, well, she's a girl <laughs> at the same time, so that's amazing and then the next words were, there's something wrong with her heart. Um, and everyone's like, well, what? I said, I don't know. So we don't know and no one can tell us. Um, we have another appointment with a doctor at four o'clock this afternoon. Um, can, can you just pray? We just called people to pray. We got to the appointment that afternoon and before we even sat down in the room, I was, can you please tell us what's wrong? Do you know, is there any indication at all? Can you just tell us and the doctor said, I can't. Um, unfortunately, I still cannot tell you. You are, something is definitely very wrong. Um, he said, I'm not a professional. I'll have to refer you to a different hospital in a different location to see a cardiologist and um, they have a better ultrasound machine where they can see more. Um, he said that, I said, he said, I've already got in contact with them. I've already booked you an appointment for two weeks, two and a half, three weeks time. Um, you will need to attend that appointment and so we left still not knowing what was going on, what to do, um, which really is scary when you're, everything within you is so bittersweet is you're thinking what you don't know. We don't know. I have no idea and how, do, how would I continue to just keep living for the next two or three weeks just like it's okay we don't know but that's fine like 
I was not like that. Um, we didn't really tell anybody what was going on um, because we didn't know. I said, if we start to tell people, I want to give people the, all the information, not just we don't know what's going on, um, but there's something going on. So we attended our appointment at the Brisbane Mater Mothers Hospital um, three weeks later, so I was 23 weeks, um, and that's where we found out Abigail's diagnosis. Um, we were had the ultrasound and then they didn't tell us anything in the room. They brought the cardiologist in, they were whispering and hush-hushing and that sort of stuff, and I immediately just had this terrible, sick feeling that it's not good. Um, so they took us into this little room down the hallway. I sat down, I looked Cameron in the eye and he was very optimistic, as Cameron always is. Um, and he said that, it's okay, we're going to be okay. I said, no, we're going to be okay. But I said, Kim, they don't sit you down in this room unless something's really wrong. Welcome, Claire. Thank you. <laughs> I think it's always a very brave thing to get up here and share your story. And we've loved hearing the last 10 minutes or so. Let's pick up exactly where we left off. You and Cam are now sitting in this room with a specialist in front of you, the small little room, waiting for a diagnosis. What does the doctor say? Yes, so the doctor sits us down and looks us in the eyes and just is like, look, so I can't, it's not good. <clears throat> he um, just said to us, he said, it's a condition called hyperplastic left heart syndrome. Um, where the left heart, left side of your daughter's heart has not formed correctly. Um, and at this point, he's got a piece of paper and he's drawing everything and he's trying to figure out, you know, he's drawing us a big diagram. He's like, so this is what it looks like. Um, there's a picture on the screen. So um, obviously on one side you can see there's a left and a right chamber and everything's good. And then on the other heart there's just a big nothing. Um, it's all... He said it's all a right side chamber, um, which is quite scary, sitting there listening to someone tell you that. Um, I remember not really looking at the cardiologist in the eyes. I was like, oh, like, maybe if I'm not looking at him, it won't, it's not happening to me. It's not happening to us. Um, so from there, he just was like, look, he said... I'm going to have to go through this a little bit quickly. And he's like, look, this is, here are your options. So you've got three, you've got three options. The first one was, he said, termination. Second one was um, surgery. And the third was palliative care or comfort care. Um, so obviously we, for Cameron and I, termination was never an option. We didn't even discuss it. Um, so then we went... To, he was talking about the heart surgery, so there's three open heart surgeries before she's four, um, or there's palliative care. Um, and he said, even if you guys chose surgery, he said, I can't, I can't guarantee quality or quantity of life. Um, he said, you'll have a chronically ill child, a simple flu could kill her. Um, and he said, I couldn't even tell you how long she'd live for. Um, he said, so with the surgeries like what I've told you, they have very long names, <clears throat> but they, he said that a, the right or left pressure, left side valve is a high pressure valve. And he said, so 
um, would be trying to create something out of nothing. And he said it, what could happen is, is that um, she could have a heart attack or something like that. She'll never be able to be running around with Manny or um, is she, like even just a simple walking upstairs, um, she'll really struggle to do. So um, <clears throat> walking away from that for Cameron and I was um, quite daunting. We had many... We saw many people that day. Um, I remember seeing the palliative care team. I remember seeing the guy who talks to you about termination, and then we had the cardiologists. And it was a very, like, a very full-on uh, moment for us. That's for sure. Absolutely. I think the months of uncertainty or the weeks of uncertainty until that point, and then to hear that news delivered. Um, just a huge weight on your shoulders and those conversations with Cam who of course is here as well mm. Cam we, uh, we honour you too mate tough journey for both of you mm. um, the tough conversations to have mm. um, two knowing that you weren't going to, to take the, the first option but two very weighty choices mm. uh, how did you guys uh, have those conversations and where did you eventually land um, so we had um, our ACC state conference. Literally, we got out of that appointment. We got um, Manny from Tegan and June and then we went, got in the car and drove to state conference. Um, and I just remember sitting in the car just crying and I didn't even have words to say. I, I, didn't, I was like, how do I speak to my husband about the decision of our daughter's life. We literally hold life or death in our hands and we, uh, I didn't want to be met with if, if Cameron had a different idea to me. That was my worst fear is that I was going to talk to him and I would be like, I'm thinking comfort care and he's like, no, I'm thinking surgery. So I, I don't think we really talked about it for a little while, <clears throat> especially on that trip to the... Um, to where we were staying to the accommodation and I think even after the first couple of days at conference we were just slowly like telling people we were very aware of who we were telling um, and just asking them to pray and to pray for us. I specifically remember the cardiologist saying to us, he said, this decision is no one else's but yours. It's a decision that you will live with for the rest of your life. So it's something that you need to be comfortable with. He said, you cannot regret this decision. Um, and I think in the end of it, eventually, within that week, we'd sort of come to a... Within the little tiny times that we talked about it, I got that Cameron was thinking that we weren't thinking for surgery, that we were going to believe for a miracle. Um, and even if God didn't perform that miracle, that we were still going to be OK. Um, and I remember thinking... I would rather have this baby and her never know the pain of a needle or recovering from surgery than for her to just have the comfort and love of her family and that's all she would need rather than turning and being like, there's so much pain when it comes to surgery and she's the tiny, they're tiny little bodies and we, I just couldn't, I couldn't bear the thought of that. Um, so I think that's when we came to the decision of, okay. And we had another scan at 32 weeks. The cardiologist just wanted to check and see because he's like, look, 
sometimes things can change within that time. Um, so when we had that scan at 32 weeks um, and nothing had changed, um, we just knew that the decision we'd made was a good one. Um, and the cardiologist, he never said anything before us, before that to us, um, but he said if, after he'd heard our decision, he just looked us in the eye. I think he grabbed my hand and he said, if this was my daughter, he said, I would be making the same decision as you are now. Um, and that was probably a God moment for me to be like, okay, like, <laughs> I think we've made the right decision. Um, there's always what ifs, but we were very comfortable with that. Yeah. Wow, huge decision. So you and Cam made the decision for palliative care or for um, comfort care, I think. Did you, did you yeah, call it? Yeah. yeah. Um, and so how did, how did your pregnancy go then, knowing what you guys knew about uh, Abby's life expectancy and uh, what that could look like? How did your pregnancy go? It would have been very different, I'd imagine, to Manny's pregnancy. How, did that, how was that journey for you guys, I guess, from that point um, to, to delivery? We, pregnancy was pretty normal. She was very safe on the inside. Um, the placenta was doing the hard work for her, which was comforting to know that there wasn't anything I could physically do to make her more comfortable. All I could do was just keep her on the inside. That's all I had to do, uh, which is pretty easy. So it was good at that point. Um, we were definitely met with some interesting opposition within the church. Um, as to why, you know, we weren't up at every healing altar call or that sort of stuff. Um, I know that that's when we were, we were careful who we were telling and then who they were telling and it sort of just slowly leaked out through the church, which was fine because it was easier for us not to be telling everyone because it would be, you'd be like, oh, you know, they were, How, how's, it, how's the baby going? How are you feeling? Yeah, you know, it's, it's good. You know, well, how's the baby? And you're like, well can't lie to you so I've got I'm going to tell you and then well you know well why aren't you choosing surgery well where's your faith I was like for me I feel like my faith is being stretched more in the fact that we're believing for a miracle and that's that's what we need to do um so it was there was some definitely some opposition in that um so we sort of probably kept to ourselves a lot within that time and um, we definitely had lots of big conversations with family um, I know I've spoken a lot to June about just everything you know mum to mum and just being like how how are we going to do this how am I going to do this um, and just getting encouragement that way um, I know that I had people wanting to throw us baby showers and things and I had to decline because I'm like I I can't take your stuff. I can't take your gifts because I don't want to be left with a room full of stuff that she's never going to use. Um, if you want to bless us, cook us a meal or something like that. I mean, definitely, you watch people step back from you when you decline things like that. Um, it was interesting. We definitely had people that were there to support us, but at the same time, we thought we had... A large group of friends but it was interesting to see who sort of fell away and weren't really on the scene anymore whether they didn't know what to say or I don't know maybe uh, maybe I offended them by something that I said or 
you know, at the same time as I was comforting and, and acknowledging that what I was telling them was hard, but it was actually us that was going through it, not them. So I found that really interesting when people would go, like, oh, that's really difficult. And then they would be processing and be like, oh, okay, you're processing my story. <laughs> okay, like, you know, then you'd have to be, create space for them. Um, so, yeah, we were very aware of who we were telling and that sort of stuff, so. Mm. I think it, it is an interesting dynamic when you're going through the season yourself. Often you do seem to carry other people around you. Mm. And this is when you guys are still out at Gundawindi. Yep. Um, and so that, that sort of community out there that you guys have been a part of for a while, yep. um, obviously finding those challenges um, within, within that community. Mm. Um, uh, I'd, I'd love to introduce everybody to, to Abby. Can we do that? Yeah. So Abby was born on the 22nd of January 2020. We've got that beautiful picture there, and she is a stunner. Um, talk to us about, I can imagine that that would be a day mixed, full of mixed emotions, um, bittersweet, uh, and just unlike, I think, any other day that you and Cameron and the whole family have uh, experienced before. Talk to us a little bit about her, I guess, her first days uh, and then her last days with us. Yeah, so we had Abigail in Gundawindi, which was a huge blessing for us. We didn't want to be anywhere but home. <clears throat> so the medical team created space for us to do that, um, which was amazing. Uh, we wouldn't have done it any other way. So we were induced on the 22nd and she came out into the world happy and healthy, um, which we were so thankful for because we, were, we weren't... They, weren't, they didn't know. We weren't prepared for whether she was going to be sick or whether she was going to be happy and healthy, because um, we didn't know the life expectancy, whether it was going to be nine hours, nine days, nine, like nine months. He said, honestly, I've seen babies live for up to three months and then they pass away. Um, so we were really unsure of how it was all going to pan out. Um, so when we were met with this healthy baby girl, we were so ecstatic. We were so excited. We just loved on her. Um, I know there's a lot of mothers sitting in here, but the day you give birth, you're exhausted, but you're just filled with this adrenaline that you're like, I could literally, I'm standing on top of the world right now. Um, and that's, I'm sure, how Cameron and I felt, uh, for sure. Um, I remember Manny walking in and seeing the baby for the first time, and he just wanted to poke her eyes out. Um, <laughs> but he was just, he was just amazing, just wanted to touch her and cuddle her, and he was only 19 months old so he could say Baba and that was about it. Um, so I know that that was a big thing for me that they got to meet um, and they got to just, I don't think, I don't know, I don't think Manny remembers much or anything but just that moment of they've met, like we did it, we, I've done that bit as a mum, I've, they've got together and they've met each other. Um, so we were um, discharged from the hospital the next, next day because she was great and I was great and we went home and we just were at home, which was great. We just Manny played and every day and Tegan and June just took over Manny, which was so good. <laughs> he was great, but he was a full-on at the same time. He was a crazy toddler. Um, 
which I'm forever thankful for. And I know that um, for Cameron and I, it was huge, a huge blessing. So we had time with Abby every day. We made sure that we tried to create memories with Manny and with us and with the family and, you know, just having people come over and wanting to just touch her and love on her and meet her um, was huge for us. So we, we definitely struggled with when. When is this going to happen? Um, I know that that was probably one of the worst things <laughs> is every day wondering if this is going to be her last. Um, so she was born on the 22nd of January and she lived nine days. Um, and as the days came, it got, we got to a week and I sort of had this feeling in my spirit that it's, it's coming, it's going to happen. Um, and I was extremely hopeful and I prayed and I'd be like, God, you can't take her away on Cameron's birthday. So Cameron's birthday is the 31st of, <clears throat> of January. And it got to the 30th of January that night um, and I was trying to settle her. And we'd been told that um, she, you know, all the things that we'd be doing to settle her probably wouldn't work. Um, and it got to... I'd started feeding her at about 9.30. It got to 20 past 10 and she still wasn't settled. I remember June coming in and asking me if I was okay. Um, I just said, I can't settle her. She's not... <laughs> I think it's happening. Um, and she went and got a stethoscope and just listened to her heart and was like, <laughs> I think, you know, I think it's happening. Um, we were given... <clears throat> medication to keep her um, comfortable. Um, we started with Panadol and then um, the next one was morphine. So Panadol didn't work at all. Um, so we did morphine and it just made her sleep, which was really helpful. And the days leading up to the nine days we were at home, um, I was sleeping in Abigail's room because I'd I just, it was a comfort to me to be near her, but I didn't want her to be in our bed. Um, and I didn't really have space to have her in our bedroom, so I was sleeping in there. But then when it came to that night, um, June suggested, she said, I think you should take her to bed with you and Cam. And um, I remember just having her in the bed with us was so comforting. Um, Definitely knowing that I had Cameron next to me as well was really, um, really um, grounding and helpful. Um, so I woke up the next morning and it was Cameron's birthday and I just I didn't know how to function, that's for sure. Um, I remember we were met at the door with um, my grandparents, my nan, and baked Cameron a fruitcake because that's his favourite cake. <laughs> um, and met with presents and the next thing that, oh, well, how's Abigail going? And having to stand there and tell people um, she's actually passing away um, was probably one of the hardest things I had to do. Um, so then we just stayed at home. We watched movies for the day. We just were spending time with her um, she was on me and then she was on Cameron and at um, 11.26 she took her last breath 
um, laying on Cam. I just remember um, Cameron gasped and sort of went, I think, I think she's gone. Um, and Tegan was there and she got the stethoscope and said, yeah, I can hear she's, she's going. Um, so I picked her up and put her on my chest and I don't really remember much after that. I just remember sitting on the couch and just holding her um, body and just, what do you do? You just don't know. I just sat with Kim and I didn't leave her side. Um, <clears throat> we ended up, we had people to call and they came and they took her hand prints and her feet prints and a lock of her hair and, you know, left us with a lot of memories of her um, and we had a funeral home lady come, her name was Lisa and she's a special kind of woman that's for sure. Um, she had, she was prepared, she had a baby car seat in her car, um, she had a crib ready, she had, she just had everything sorted which was incredible. Um, so we ended up, they ended up taking her to the funeral home and because um, I didn't want to scare Manny um, with, she drops like, all the colours change in her face and everything so I just remember being like okay we'll just, we'll take her away and we just went from there um, definitely was a very full on moment for us um, I remember from there just you know, trying to continue to trust God with everything was definitely hard it's um for me it was an uh, the ultimate betrayal for me from God as a moment of going how do I continue to be as a person be as a Christian be as a woman in God um once a piece of me has literally been taken away um and it took a long time for us and a lot of healing, definitely. Um, so we, I know I can say today that um, even in the trial, I was, we were never forsaken. We were never left alone. God was always with us. Um, and with trials, even now, I know I can stand here and say that God will never leave you. God will always be with you. Um, even when you feel the loneliest, even when you feel the most broken, um, you're, all, you're never alone. Um, and in the trials, that's where God is. And you had a, a, a real encounter with God, particularly around that thought when you were having a moment of pure frustration and crying out to God. Uh, do you remember that scripture that, uh, that he shared with you? Um, I can't particularly remember where it's from, um, but I've found lately with my children, I've been very unwell for a long time, and um, I was sitting talking to Cameron, and I said, I'm just worried I'll never be enough for them, that I won't be able to comfort them, I won't be able to be what they need. Um, and 
Cameron's like, that's not what you need to worry about because God's what you need. God's what they need. Um, and you are, you've been gifted these, our kids to comfort them. He said, and you are enough. And I remember going and <clears throat> it was late at night and I was up with Declan and I was reading through the Bible and it's said, well, I added the, no matter what, I'll be there. I'll be with you. And I remember just constantly going through that and being like, no matter what is going on, he'll be there. And I'm never alone. Um, it's one of my biggest fears is that I will be alone. Um, and that to know that I will never be alone is huge for me. Um, definitely. Claire, I, I think we could all sit here and listen to your story for uh, the rest of the day. Um, but I'd love for you to, to have an opportunity to pray with some people. Uh, and we've honestly, thank you so much. And thank you, Cam, as well, to, for sharing your story um, and for sharing Abby with us this morning. Uh, I think, you know, I look at you and I see just such a beautiful example of someone who is faithful to God, um, even in the trial and even in the really hard times. Uh, you just really solid in your faith. You're very real, which is refreshing uh, and uh, relatable. Uh, and, you know, you've just got this beautiful centre in Jesus. Uh, and I know that even in, with talking with you when we caught up this week, you were sharing that, you know, you'd love to, to encourage people along one last thought. Why don't you share that with us before you pray this morning? Um. <laughs> uh, it was that uh, no matter what, uh, you'll find the joy in every season. Yes, actually, I wrote it down. That's there you go. I had my phone. <laughs> um, I, I was listening to the song um, Another in the Fire and I was redoing some furniture that we have and I was sitting there going, um, isn't it amazing how songs speak to you and lyrics speak to you and um, in the... At the end of the verses, it says, I'll count the joy, come every battle, because I know that's where you'll be. Um, I know it's easier said than done, me sitting up here and, you know, we're never on the end of, on the end of grief or on the end of missing our daughter, Abigail, but especially moving here and having Declan, um, we've definitely made some big steps towards our healing journey, um, definitely, and the people here in this church that have definitely um, <clears throat> that have been played a big part in our life even living here um, and encouraging us each day in the church um, the messages or just the hey I hope you're doing well this week or the passing comments even in church like you're looking good today like that's huge for me and huge for us um, and I know that like I was saying it was, it's easier said than done me just sitting up here and being like counted a joy to be in a trial because you know that's where God will be but it's the little things that keep me going each day to think that when you are knee deep in a trial going I don't know I don't know how I'm gonna do this you're not alone and God's there to give you strength and to be with you and you can go, when there's th you think there's nobody else to turn to, you can go to God and be like, you know what? <laughs> Th 
this is really hard and I need help. Um, and he will be there to help you. Awesome. And we'd love to pray uh, along those lines. So just for privacy, if everyone could bow their heads and close their eyes. We're not going to prolong this, uh, but we do want an opportunity for Claire to pray for you. Uh, so if, if you, you know, are feeling like you're in a trial right now, you're feeling like you're, you're knee deep in that battle and you just want someone who's, who's been in a very real battle as well to pray with you, to encourage you and to stand in Jesus with you. Why don't you raise your hand and we'll see it just so we know who we're praying for and Claire would love to pray for you. Thank you. I can see that hand. I can see all those hands. Claire, why don't you pray for us this morning? Jesus, loving Father, I thank you for this day. We thank you for the sunshine. We thank you for those little things that ground us in who you are as God. Jesus, I thank you that you see those people, you see those people who are in the trial, who are just coming out of the trial or who are just about to start one. Father, I pray right now that you would hold their hand as they walk through this. Jesus, I pray that you would be holding their heart as we sang this morning that my soul needs a friend and my heart needs a surgeon. Father, I pray that you would be that person for us. Jesus, I pray that when we're in our quiet place and we take time to talk to you, that you would be there, that you would be speaking to us. Jesus, we thank you for everything that you've done for us. We thank you for the ultimate sacrifice. You sacrificed your son so that we can live. You sacrificed your son so that we can see our daughter in heaven. You sacrificed your son so that we can be and love and just enjoy this earth. Jesus, we thank you for that. And we pray that you would give us strength and humble us. Jesus, in your name, amen. Beautiful. Why don't we thank Claire this morning? I think it is a, an incredible testimony of God's goodness and God's faithfulness. And really her and Cam being able to stand strong in their faith no matter what the trial and I do pray that that's encouraged you this morning. You've probably mostly grabbed for your tissues, uh, but that's okay. It's a real life journey and we love doing real life. And I just honour you guys. Thank you so much, so much for sharing. Why don't you stand with me this morning? We're going to finish up our service and continue to enjoy this beautiful day, the sunshine. Uh, that's out there. We've got coffee uh, hot and ready to go just for you. Uh, make sure that you hang around uh, and chat with somebody, catch up with somebody that you maybe you haven't seen for a while. We'd love to just extend church beyond this auditorium as we head into the foyer. Team's going to take us out with a final song. Thanks, guys.